Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. We have some interesting stories coming up in the news roundup this week, all things affecting global supply chains. Energy costs rising, inflation rising, prices everywhere rising. When will we get some respite? Well, only when those energy costs go down, I think. Gazprom in the news, caviar problems in the UK, yes, caviar. Summer sales at Harrods affected by supply chain problems and all sorts of other things. So stay tuned. Inflation in the Eurozone in June hit 8.6%. In the United Kingdom, 9.1% in May. So inflation's on the rise. And of course, the big driver is energy, energy cost. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, signed a decree on Thursday this week. And that was to take control of the Sakhalin 2 project. You might recall that Shell had a 27.5% stake in this uh, project, but they pulled out of that when they pulled out of investments in Russia. Mitsui and Mitsubishi of Japan have also abandoned the investment since the sanctions against Ukraine happened. Shell have taken a £3.8 billion hit by moving out of Russia. So that's significant, isn't it? This project supplies about 4% of the liquefied natural gas, LNG, and it's 50% owned and operated by Gazprom. Gazprom remains as a stakeholder, but the other shareholders will now need to be approved by Russia. Shell has been in talks with buyers to uh, try and sell off the project. And there's interest from China and India, according to Reuters. Shell, of course, has already written off the cost of that investment, as we said, and it's costed about $3.8 billion. Tariffs on steel imports were due to expire, but the UK government now says they will continue to apply tariffs for a further two years. The International Trade Secretary, Anne-Marie Trevelyan, said that the UK has departed from its international legal obligations, but it was in the national interest to protect steelmakers. So protectionism is back and it's unilateral. I wonder what kind of retaliation this might uh, muster. Steel has been under significant pressure from the soaring energy prices. It's still a key industry, despite there being a lot fewer sites in the UK than a few years ago. Steelmaking remains important, employs around 34,000 people, and it's worth about £2 billion to the economy annually. So this is a step to protect what remains of the UK steel industry. There might be some backlash from the World Trade Organization because under international law, this might be a breach of the commitment to the WTO. So it's all back to energy costs, really. Everything in supply chains currently is hinging around these rapidly rising energy costs. And of course, that's what's feeding inflation too. And until that central cause is tackled, then it will continue. I read that the seventh largest container shipping line, Ocean Network Express, is implementing a penalty fee in the form of a weight discrepancy charge. 
of US$2,000 per container from the 1st of July. This penalty fee is applicable if there's a misdeclaration of cargo weight, details at the time of submissions of booking, and if the weight deviates by plus or minus 3 tonnes, 20 equivalent unit containers, from the weight on the final bill of lading, instruction details and verified gross mass, BGM, documentation, it's applied. So it's not just people that are overweight, containers can be overweight too. Interesting, isn't it? In London this week, I read that Harrods have delayed the summer sale, and that's because of supply chain bottlenecks. Well, amazing. The summer sale goes because the supply chain doesn't work. I also came across a piece this week that said supply chain salaries are going up on average by 10 to 20,000 US dollars for entry level positions. And this is much higher than in any other field. That's because supply chains are important, of course. Not sure about anybody else out there, but I can think back to when I was a child and we used to have paper bags to store goods, not plastic bags, and we had shoppers who went to the stores with their own bag and filled it and didn't have to take away those plastic bags or other bags. Everything was reusable, right down to refills of bottles and all kinds of grocery items. So where did it all go wrong? Well, I'm going to take a look at this in the next few weeks and there'll be an episode where I'll be taking a look at reusable containers. Not the 20 equivalent unit containers, but containers that consumers use in store. And so we'll take a look at that. And if anybody's got any great ideas or stories, get in touch because I'd like to hear from you. The clear message is we need to be more sustainable when it comes to our consumer habits. Another piece of news I came across this week, the Sustainable Apparel Coalition is apparently about to pause the use of HIG labels globally. This is the use of this HIG index that's given readings of how sustainable particular fibres and textiles are. And it's been a source of contention for quite some considerable time, and they've finally now got rid of it. It was an index that was disputed by many in the industry because it actually gave a measure that polyester was more sustainable than natural fibres, which just doesn't sound right, does it really? So at last, there's some sense prevailing in the industry. I've read quite a lot in the last couple of weeks that, uh, and this is from lots of different commentators, saying that to build a truly resilient supply chain, companies need end-to-end visibility. And that's what I've been saying for an awful long time. If you want that resilient supply chain, you need the data and you need to build visibility into your supply chains. So it's a must, not an add-on, a central part of planning. Now is the car industry showing us the way when it comes to deglobalization? Are they changing the way they do things? Well, the answer is yes and no, but certainly more on the yes than the no. There's a shift away, obviously, from the internal combustion engine to electrical vehicles. And automobiles are more about microchips than mechanical parts these days. These microchips control various systems in the car. And, of course, it's those microchips and the change of vehicle design that's changed 
the supply chains for many of the big car manufacturers. They've outsourced much of the manufacturing processes in the past, but now they're off in search of all the metals that they need to go into their electric vehicle batteries. And so, in the last few weeks, of course, Tesla has been scurrying around the globe looking for supplies of the metals it needs, such as lithium, for its batteries. And they signed a deal quite recently with uh, one company in Brazil. So this is about securing assets. Lithium, graphite, nickel, all those metals that you need for the battery technology. And they won't be the only ones. Now, it's not just shortages of supply and shortages of logistics that disrupt supply chains. But I read this week that there was a stoppage at a production plant for making one of our favourite foods, chocolate. Production at the biggest chocolate plant run by a Swiss firm, Barry Calabar, in the Belgian town of Weiss. After salmonella, contamination was found. So it's problematic when that sort of thing happens in a food factory, as you imagine. And it can disrupt production for weeks. So if you want chocolate, go and buy some now. Now, there was a disturbing article I came across at the end of this week about trade performance in the United Kingdom. Apparently, it's recorded its worst performance for 67 years. Balance of payments has rocketed to around 51.7 billion, which is about 8.3% of gross domestic product in the first three months of 2022. That's according to the Office for National Statistics. It's all the uncertainty and the inflation everywhere that's causing the problem. Oil and gas prices are a central part of this, and sterling has fallen in value against the US dollar. Perhaps one of the biggest concerns is the fall in investment by around 0.6% at the start of 2022. It's a time to invest, of course, but things are so uncertain that people aren't making the commitment. I was also taking a look at some of the travel disruption that's taking place at airports. And in the United Kingdom, many of the large airports that were previously in the pre-pandemic era, very efficient in the way they processed passenger traffic through the airport onto the planes, and of course the loading and unloading of those planes with luggage, and of course the container traffic in the cargo holds, have fallen victim to what we might know as um, a capacity and throughput problem. It's a sort of thing we're used to facing in supply chains. And as they're cranking up capacity, of course, the throughput is still not going as smoothly as it should or could do. And we all know this problem because it's uh, a queuing problem. It's what happens when you have a queue if people arrive too early or they're late. That puts pressure on the system. And if you haven't got capacity in place to deal with these variations, then it's problematic. And that's essentially what's happening at airports. And I've got a special program that's coming up in the next couple of weeks, which is all about how to deal with those queues. Passengers, of course, have been caught up at Heathrow and at Manchester and the United Kingdom. And the airports are asking the airlines to cut back on the number of flights that they're processing to try and deal with the uh, pressure points. At Heathrow, 
It's said to have affected around 6,400 passengers as they've cut back or cancelled about 30 flights to see if that can tackle the problem. Elsewhere this week, I noticed that Gazprom are not paying a dividend to their shareholders. And that's the first time since 1998. And it's obviously because of the turbulent experiences that they're having due to fluctuations in the market. I'm guessing that some of the sanctions are probably to blame for this uh, decision in relation to the invasion in Ukraine. Now I came across a, a story that you might like to read in the I newspaper in the UK this week. And this is an interesting story. It's about caviar connoisseurs in the UK suffering from supply chain woes. Well, I can't say I'll be suffering, but if you're a connoisseur, apparently it's Brexit bureaucracy that's to blame for the failure of the caviar supply chain. Now, isn't that interesting? Good old Brexit. It's the trade barriers, of course, that have been erected since Brexit that are causing the problem with imports of caviar from the continent into the UK. And so I wonder how many of those caviar eaters voted for Brexit. Hmm, be interesting to know, wouldn't it? Apparently a process that used to take 48 hours can now take six to eight weeks and the costs have gone up by 20%, so caviar is even more expensive. Apparently Boeing's success in creating more demand for its aircraft is actually causing supply chain difficulties for the company. And David Calhoun, who's the chief executive of Boeing, said this week that he expected supply chain difficulties to persist throughout 2023. Boeing had to suspend production in early June of the 737 planes because they didn't have enough wiring connectors. The company is still struggling to recover from the turbulent period during the pandemic, which saw the plane maker halt production of 77X jets and make a loss, net loss, of about $1.24 billion in the first quarter of 2022. Airbus also said that short-term risks would grow with supply chain difficulties, but that they expected to increase output by about 50% over the next three years. So short-term problems, but uh, expect them to be resolved later. Airbus said that they'd delivered 6% fewer planes in May compared with 2021 levels. In January 2023, there's a new German law called Supply Chain Due Diligence Act, and that becomes effective January next year. The law puts a legal responsibility on large businesses operating in Germany to manage social and environmental issues in their supply chains. Companies have to show that they're carrying out activities that identify and address any negative impacts on people and the planet that they may have contributed to. For some, this is a welcome step in creating a level playing field for sustainable business practices, but it will certainly add cost to the process. If you fail to comply, that could come at an even bigger cost. The act includes fines of up to 2% of the global turnover for any infringements and potential bans for companies from operating or procuring goods or selling the goods in Germany for up to three years. So what can businesses do? Well, a lot of opportunities to prepare for the upcoming act. 
One of the key things, of course, is to make sure that you've got sufficient data to prove that you are identifying issues and managing the situation. The starting point, of course, is to check that you fall within the scope of the Act. It would apply to any overseas business operating with over 3,000 employees in Germany. And this includes employees of all the subsidiaries of any business. So it's not just the parent company, it's subsidiaries too. It's the total number of employees. And it includes temporary workers, those that have contracts over a six-month period. From 2024, the law will also extend to apply to companies with over a 1,000 employees in Germany. One of the key things that these businesses will have to do to comply with the law is to carry out risk assessments regularly and impact assessments on suppliers. Environmental issues include the production and use of organic pollutants, hazardous waste, and how that's handled. So it's quite an onerous task for many businesses if they don't already collect this data. And then, of course, the usual things about social issues related to child labour, forced labour, migrant labour, and, of course, modern slavery that has to be identified and removed. As we know, risks in supply chains constantly change, and it's therefore very important for organisations to stay ahead of the game. Having systems and processes in place that assess risk is important. Social and environmental audits regularly conducted, and taking preventative measures, examples that you can show that you've taken preventative measures, will also be important. And it'll be down to documentation in the end, because when the records are audited, this due diligence has to be demonstrated. And you have to keep the records for about seven years. You're expected to prepare due diligence reports regularly. And so that's it, really. So there are things you can do, but it's quite a change. For some businesses. Well, that's the news roundup for this week, and I hope you enjoyed it. So you better rush off and get your chocolates and your caviar right away, if that's what you want. I'll be back with the midweek edition, so I'll see you then. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines.